Amen. How y'all feeling, church? Amen. It's good to see everybody. Y'all enjoying the worship? I mean, they took the mics off, doing the Millie Rock and everything up here. You know, they was, they was turning up. Well, it is good to see y'all. Y'all made it out in the snow. Give yourselves a round of applause for that, all right? How many people slipped and fell outside? Any? They don't want to admit that. That's why y'all don't want to admit that. It's okay. I slipped. I had a slip. Okay. Thank you. All right. Well, you know, I was preparing for a message um, to preach, and you ever, like, this week has been funny. It seemed like I consistently was having different conversations that led me to just really want to study out some things, and eventually... I kind of just was putting it together, and I was like, man, I really feel like I was having those conversations on purpose to talk about it today. And so I was like, you know what, I'll put aside what I want to talk about to really discuss uh, what God's placed on my heart, multiple conversations I've had with a lot of people, uh, even kind of tying back to what James and Nenna shared. For those who are part of our Marriage Devo this Friday, James and Nenna did a great job, um, again, just encouraging us to be courageous um, and have bold conversations with each other. But in that same vein, you know, 2015 was the worst year in modern history for Christian persecution. The worst year in modern history. 2014 was the runner-up. In 2015, over 7,000 Christians were executed, killed, or murdered because of their faith. And over 2,400 churches were destroyed. You know, in the beginning of Christianity, we see the standard that was set for all of us to follow. We see a standard that was set for all of us to follow and what it looks like to be a real believer in Jesus. You know, I believe that in America, though, sometimes we could forget that. You know, in America, it's a different kind of struggle. Uh, I remember a brother coming and sharing from out the country. He was like, you know, I pray. We, you know, in our church, we pray for America because it's easy for you to forget what it means to be a real Christian. See, where we he was like, where we live, we see this every day, the persecution, the struggle. You, it's a life or death choice to be a Christian. Here... It's just a convenient option. You know, fortunately, we haven't had to lean into this part of Christianity here in America. But in the beginning, the founder of our faith, the author of our faith, the person we sing about, we see paintings and all these great glorious pieces of art and that we tell our kids about, the man we pray to, in the beginning, he was betrayed by a friend. He was unjustly arrested, illegally tried, and convicted. Witnesses and the judge was bribed, and he was flogged in order to keep a small group of people happy. A small group of people happy. You know, I want to look at the scripture in Mark 15.
Does it work? All right. In Mark 15, it says, verse 15, it says, Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. And he had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. The governor wanted to make people happy, to satisfy the crowd. You know, if I went into detail about this little word, flogging, started showing images, many of you would probably get up and leave. Because the details of what a flogging was and is is so gruesome that most people wouldn't want to sit here and look at those images. You know, but when someone was flogged, two Roman soldiers would come, they would grab a leather whip about two feet long, on the ends of this whip, there'll be little pieces of glass, stone, bone, rocks. And the purpose of that whip was to tear the flesh off the individual's back, his chest, or stomach with each lash. That was the purpose of the flogging during that time, the individual would have his hands tied so that his body would be completely exposed and they would be completely defenseless. After that, he was mocked, our King of Kings, Lord of Lords, the man we sing the songs to, the reason why we weathered the storm to be here was subjected to being mocked, looked down on, and disrespected. In Matthew 27, Matthew 27, verse 28, it says, They stripped him and put him in a scarlet robe, and put a scarlet robe on him. And then they twisted together a crown of thorns, and they set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand. And they knelt down in front of him and mocked him. Hell, king of kings, Jew, king of the Jews. They said, they spat on him and they took the staff and struck him on the head again and again. After they mocked him, they took off the robe and they put on his own clothes, his own clothes on him. And they led him away to crucify him. You know, crucifixion wasn't designed to kill a man. That wasn't the purpose. It was designed to make a statement. It was designed to make a statement. It was designed to make a person suffer long enough so that all those surrounding him would be afraid. I want you to get this key word because this is what I want to focus on. The goal was so that everyone that saw the man crucified would be afraid. That's the purpose. Afraid to do whatever he did to get there. They also didn't hang very high, which is a misconception when we look at the art. They actually hung at a level where the person could look at the individuals eye to eye. So that they could see that person. They could see the suffering in his eyes. And that they could be subjected to the mocking that the people surrounding would dish out 
to the person who was hanging on the cross. Look at verse, um, you know, and this is, this is, this is huge. You know, Matthew 27, verse 39, it says, Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads, saying, You who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the Son of God. In the same way, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now, if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. In the same way, the rebels who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. Why do I share all this? Why do I take us back to the cross? Because as Aaron stated earlier, Jesus exemplified something extremely powerful here. He exemplified what it means to be fearless. See, Jesus was not captured as he tried to flee to Egypt to avoid arrest. Y'all caught that, right? He wasn't running away. Jesus was not found in the caves hiding so that they could arrest him. Jesus was not captured on the port city as he tried to cross the Mediterranean Sea. Right? Our Savior walked into Jerusalem under his own power, under his own purpose, and he rode in on Main Street in broad daylight. The punishment that was supposed to scare us into not following him, he used to exemplify how to follow him. And he demands that we imitate that. He demands that we imitate that courage, that fearlessness as Christians. See, there's something about the countenance of Jesus, the way he carried himself. There's something about his presence. There was something about his focus that demanded attention and authority. Our Savior was bold. Our Savior was fearless. Our Savior was crazy. Our Savior was wild. But he was not fearful. And our Savior says to you, follow me. In Luke 9, 23, it says, And he said to all, everybody, right? If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Deny is to say no to you in order to say yes to who? That's what it means. Christ is saying there will be a moment, there will be a season, there will be a set of circumstances 
where you will have to deny yourself and follow me daily. And here's the thing that Jesus is trying to, trying to help us to see. And I really want us to all catch this. He wants, it's like, follow me. You, it's easy to follow Jesus when it feels safe, right? Follow me when it feels safe, but follow me when it doesn't feel safe. Follow me when it helps you and follow me when it looks like it's going to hurt you. Follow me when it benefits you, but also follow me when it's going to cost you. That's what it looks like to be a real Christian. Jesus knows our hearts, though, church. He knows our hearts, and he understands our need for security. He understands our need for security. He understands our desire for comfort and our goal to make sure that everything is in order, right? That's, that's what we are inclined to do, right? Everyone in here, we can all raise our hand for that. We all are trying to do that. It's in the heart of a man to protect his family and himself, right? We all have that mindset to, to protect, to make sure everything's safe. It's in the heart of men to avoid risk, especially when we see danger. It's in our hearts. That's kind of, we're inclined to do those things. I don't want you to feel like something's wrong with me because I have that, 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 that default. That's normal. But what would Jesus say to us when we find ourselves in those situations and those circumstances? I feel he would say this in, Luke, in Matthew 10. Matthew 10, verse 28, Jesus says this. He says, do not be afraid of those who could kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, rather, church, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body and in hell and put the body in hell. Now, that's kind of a direct scripture, right? It's not very clear, right? Oh, it's clear. It's pretty clear, right? The thing he challenges us with, he's like, look, do not be afraid of those who can only kill what? But, you know, I like this, in a, I like this interpretation of it in the message interpretation. It says, do not be bluffed into silence by the threats of bullies. There is nothing they can do to your soul, your core being. Save your fear for who? God, who holds your entire life, body, and soul in his hands. God's like, look, don't be afraid of the person that only thing they can do, the worst that they can do. The worst thing they, they the thing that they could do is kill your soul, kill your body. But we're not simply earthly beings. We are eternal beings. We are spiritual beings. We will live forever. The question is where and what conditions? This is the reality, church. And living here in America, we could easily forget that. It's so easy to focus on here, right now. 
the people surrounding us on a daily basis, the circumstances surrounding us on a daily basis. Do not be afraid of something because the worst thing it could do is kill your body. Do not be afraid of people because the worst thing that they could do is kill your body. Fear stops us from doing great things for God. Fear stops us from doing great things for God and fear stops us from being great for God. That's what fear does. We get bluffed into silence consistently, especially here in New York City. Especially here in this city. Because we are afraid of people's opinions. We don't speak up because we're afraid. We don't stand out because we're afraid. We don't stand up because we're afraid. And we just blend in because we're afraid. This is what happens. And that's not the example that was set by Jesus. Not at all. Christianity is not supposed to be safe nor comfortable. It's supposed to be confrontational. It's supposed to be on the edge. And it's supposed to be un. Comfortable, And I know that's not a popular message. I know that's not what people want to hear. But how can we live like that and claim to be a Christian when that is not by far the example that was set by Christ? But you know, the scripture does say something about fear. It says, but if you want to be afraid, if you want to fear something, if you want to fear something, fear God. If you want to be afraid, you want to fear something, that's cool. Fear God. Fear God, because be afraid of the one who controls not only your body, but your soul and can send you to hell. That last part, people don't like preaching about either. But that's reality, church. Hell is real. That is something that is preached about in the Bible. Jesus said, fear God, because I control not just your body. I control your spirit, and I'm the one that will determine the final destination. Fear me. See, fear is an emotion. It really is. Fear is going to come. Fear is going to go. That's reality. But the thing is, never allow fear of a person or a group of people or circumstances rule your life. Because at the worst, at its worst, anything here on earth, at its worst, all it could do is what? Kill your body. But here's the thing, church. The reason why those things, those, that fear has so much power in our lives, because we're afraid of what? That's it. That's it, right? Every decision we make is big because it could mean that we're going to have a what? Bad life here. An uncomfortable life here. An inconvenient life here. So we 
funnel and strain every decision through that. That view. Jesus stressed this point to his disciples so much. Fear God. Fear God. Fear God. Every decision you make, do it because you fear God. You know, he, he, he knew, you know, his disciples, what were they before they were his disciples? Right? A lot of them were fishermen, right? Especially some of the big three. They were fishermen. And they were seamen. They lived on boats. They, they, did, all, they did everything on a boat. But it's funny, this story that pops up in Mark chapter 4. And I want to break this down because something huge is revealed here in this scripture. But through the situation. Right? These fishermen, they knew how to fish. They understood being on a boat. Yet, in this situation, they jump on a boat and they get terrified. So let's examine this real quick, right? In Mark chapter 4, verse 37. Mark chapter 4, verse 37. It says, A furious storm came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus said to the storm, or Jesus was in the, in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. Sometimes in my mind, I wonder if he was really sleeping. Sometimes I'm like, yeah, like, you just had the blanket over his head. I'm going to see what these disciples are going to do in the midst of this storm. I'm just, I'm just wondering what they're going to do, you know. But that's, that's not Bible. That's just Paris' interpretation. I just want y'all to be clear on that, all right? The Bible says he was sleeping, so we're going to go with that, all right? Sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the winds, and said to the waves, be quiet, be still. Then the winds died down, and it was completely calm. And he turned back and went to sleep. Is that what happened? He said to his disciples, why are you afraid? Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? Jesus is like, like he's looking, he's like, man, I told you not to fear anything that could only kill the body. Why are you afraid? Jesus is looking at the disciples like, and at this point in the ministry, they were popular. Everybody loved Jesus at this point. So they would go into town, and they were like rock stars walking into towns. People giving them food, everything. I mean, the disciples were living it up with Jesus at this point in his ministry. And so when everything's good, everything's good, right? But when things go the other direction, you become afraid. Why? If you could trust me when things are well, why can't you trust me when the boat is shaking? If you could trust me when things are well, why can't you trust me when the storm is rising? If you could trust me when you're in control, why can't you trust me when you're not in control? Right? When we're in control of our lives and how things are going, yo, hallelujah, Jesus, Lord, I'm in church. It's great. Right? I love Jesus. You know what I mean? Like, he done blessed my life. Bills paid. Right? Everything's good. I got a girl. I got a man. Everything's good. Life is good. 
Husband's good. Kids are good. Everything's good. I love God. Then all of a sudden, the pendulum swings the other way. And then it's like, wait, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. You going to break up with me? Wait, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You fired me? Wait, wait, wait. Y'all going to talk to me like that? Oh, Jesus ain't Lord no more. Something's wrong, God. Something, something's wrong. Like, God, things are different. Something happened. Something happened. The storm is a little too big. You want me to drown, Jesus? We go there. I know sometimes it's real easy to look at the disciples like, oh, these hard-haired disciples, they just, they just lack faith. They just struggling. If I was there, I know Jesus is going to calm that storm. Right? I'm there. I sit back and I'm like, man, God, what are you going to do? I'm faced with these decisions. This is what, what am I going to do? How am I going to deal with this? I always sit back, and to me it's such a foreign place because being a father and a husband when I never saw a father and a husband. You know what I mean? And so everything, that, every move that I make, every step that I take is like foreign territory. Like, I don't know what it looks like to be a father. I didn't have that. I don't know what it looks like to be a good committed husband you know and so the, the, the trials happen and it's easy to be like well when the trials happened to my dad that's what he did that's what I saw what am I going to do I mean it's, it's foreign territory how do we live this life here as a Christian Father, husband, yeah, a Christian, no. A disciple. You know, it's it's a lot to learn. You know, when it's easy to trust God when we're getting praised, but it's hard to trust him when we're getting cursed. But Jesus told us to don't fear anything that can only affect your body. You know, in verse 41, it says, after he shared that, right, after he challenged them, after he quieted the storm, this is really powerful here. Verse 41, it says, they were what? They were terrified. And they asked each other, who is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. Now, a more literal translation of this, and this is where it changes everything. Because the more literal translation of this very verse that Mark used, Mark took the Greek word for terrified or fear, and he used it in this passage as a verb and a noun form. It's really deep, because a more literal translation says this. Y'all changed it already. It says, and they feared a great fear. 
and they asked one another, who is this that even the winds and the sea obeys him? The word fear he used here, it says he feared a great fear. So their latter fear was greater than their former fear in this situation. Now their fear of God outgrown the fear of the storm because of this. Their fear of God outgrew the fear of the storm. It said they feared a greater fear, a great fear. And these, these are powerful moments because sometimes I feel in order for us to have the proper fear for God, we got to remember how God has worked in our lives. We've all been through a storm, quote unquote, situations that we seem as there is no way I'm going to get through this on my own. That it's just, it's just not going to happen. And we probably during that storm question God. Where are you at? You want me to drown? You want me to die? God, help me. And what did God do? You're here. Right? You're here right now. You're listening to my voice. As awkward as it might be, you're listening to me. You're here. What that says, that should help remind us that man... That former fear of the circumstance, situation, people, person should now have been overcome by a greater fear for God. Who is this man that delivered me from this situation, that saved me from this circumstance? The circumstance... Which was the point, right? That was the whole point. That's what God wanted. He wanted their fear to, their fear for him to outgrow their circumstances, their situations. That was the whole point. Jesus is saying, if you're going to be afraid, fear God. When fear starts to overwhelm you, remember, I don't succumb to. You got to remember that. I don't submit to. I don't bow down to. I will not avail myself to fear of anything that could only affect my body. Because my ultimate fear is in who? God, who controls my body and soul. This is a major life fact. Uncertainty is unavoidable. This is something I've been kind of running through my head the past week. Like, uncertainty is unavoidable. If I live my life trying to be uh, a slave to figuring it all out, I'm going to waste my time and I'm going to miss life because uncertainty is unavoidable. Matter of fact, uncertainty is for certain, right? It's for certain. You could, you could guarantee that uncertainty is going to happen. That's just real. But here is the message from Jesus. Here is what we see from his example. Uncertainty is unavoidable, but being fearful is optional. Being fearful is optional. That's an option that you choose. You choose to be fearful. You choose to succumb to fear. You choose to allow the circumstances, the situations to bring you down. Because you always have the option to choose who? 
God, you always have that option. Nothing and no one can steal that from you. Nothing. Now, like I said before, fear is not an option because that's an emotion. Fear comes and it goes. We can't control that. But living a fearful life, living a fearful life, living under the canopy of fear, submitting to fear is optional. That is optional. Jesus proved this in his life, in his death, and in his teachings. That is the reason that we are here. Because Jesus didn't allow fear to rule him. Nor did it rule the first century Christians. Paul was arrested, persecuted, and stoned. And left for dead after he was stoned. He was stoned because the Jews felt like he undermined the authority of Judaism because he spoke about Christ. But you know what? It wasn't just the Jewish Pharisees and teachers that stoned Paul. It was also the pagans. They were a part of that stoning. They stoned him because they felt like he was undermining the authority of paganism because he was anti-idol worship. So Paul was making no friends. None. You're wrong. You're wrong. Christ is right. That made everyone flip. Picked up stones, they stoned him, and then they dragged his body that was supposed to be dead. They dragged his body out the city and left him for dead, meaning the animals would come and eat his remains while they were at home having dinner. They dragged his body out and left him for dead. But Paul woke up. Paul woke up, brushed himself off, and where'd he go? Back to Jerusalem and said, yo, I ain't going back to that city. That's crazy. They're crazy there. Y'all need to send somebody else. I'm done. I didn't did my due diligence. You know what I mean? For a lot of us, that would have been it, right? Shoo. All right. Good. I was stoned. One time, that's all I needed. <laughs> all right? I'm out, you know? Live out in the desert for the rest of my life. That's not what Paul did. He kept going. He kept preaching. He kept encouraging. He kept sharing. He kept serving. He planted more churches, and he pushed even harder. It's easy for us to look and say, that's what Jesus did. Look what Paul did. Paul continued, what about you, church? You shared your faith and they said no. You tried and they rejected you. You did it and it didn't work. You stepped up and you fell down. You spoke up and they looked down on you. If Paul stopped, what would our lives look like? Who would have wrote majority of the New Testament? Who would have planted the churches in Asia Minor? If Paul stopped, what, what, would, have, what would have happened? 
Church, don't stop. Don't give up and don't give in. Paul understood that we don't need to fear anything that can only hurt our body. We don't need to fear anything that could only hurt our body. Matter of fact, after Paul's death, after Paul's death, Nero was persecuting Christians. Persecuting Christians. Left and right. Matter of fact, he would light Christians up as torches for him. Throw them into the arena to be mauled and destroyed by animals. This was pleasure for him. He took pleasure in persecuting Christians. You know, but it was written by a doctor during that time who was not a Christian, not religious at all. And he said, you know, he, he, they, the, after, after the Christians had gone to the arena and they were mauled by animals, he had to go and examine their bodies. And here's what he said about Christians. He said, For fearlessness of death and the hereafter is something we witness in them every day. You can say, well, Jesus, that's what Jesus did. Okay, you know, Paul was a super Christian. So that's why he was able to go through and do all that. Well, look at here. Regular Christians lit up as torches to light Nero's dinners. Thrown into arenas to be mauled by animals for the entertainment of the Romans. And then we see here a doctor who's not a Christian saying these people were fearless. For fearlessness of death. You know, look at your Bible, the Bible that you have. The first translation of the English Bible from the original Greek and Hebrew was done by William Tyndale. He was, now William Tyndale, we can look and be like, man, that's great that this was, we had this copy. But the thing with William Tyndale is that he was an outlaw by the religious community because he challenged the church at that time. He felt that the English people needed their own translation of the Bible. Because at the time, only the priests and the people who could read Greek and Hebrew were the ones that were able to read the Bible. So he took it upon himself and translated the Bible into English. That's a good thing, right? This would later become the foundation for the King James Bible that we read. But he was arrested for doing this. And then he was strangled publicly and his body was burned for doing that he saw the need and he went out even though it was inconvenient knowing the cost he was fearless two years after that after his death the king of England established the English Bible as the official Bible of England Fearlessness. How are you doing, church, in being fearless? I have three questions, and they're all pretty much variations of themselves. I'm going to end with this. But I want us to think about this.
Number one is, is this. Is our version of Christianity worth all of that? Is our version, right here, what we see in the Bronx 2017, is our version of Christianity worth all that sacrifice? Is your version of Christianity worth everything it took to get Christianity to the 21st century? Your version, how you live it out. Is it worth everything it took to get it here? We just went through a timeline, church, of sacrifices that are made for your faith. Is it worth it? Is your version of Christianity worth dying for? You know, in, in, in all honesty, the probability of any of us dying for the faith Slim to none. Like us here in America, the probability, like, it's slim. Now, we might have to deal with laws that could frustrate us in different things, but really, we're blessed. But is our version of Christianity worth dying for? Are we that serious? Are we denying ourselves? And lastly, is the way we live worth the price that was paid? Is the way we live worth the price that was paid? Are they looking down on us like, you're really afraid of that? Like, that's scaring you? That, that's stopping you? That's what you're worried about? What about the Christians in Iraq, Syria, the ones in Kenya? Whatever Christians that are left in Pakistan, like what about them? That's, that's today, church. That's not foreign. Like That's not something we're reading about. That's real life right now. They're looking. Our brand of Christianity, how we live it out, our version, what would they say? Now, I'm not trying to, and I, I really want, I'm not trying to throw a guilt trip, all right? Like, let me be real clear on this. This isn't about trying to guilt people into feeling ashamed about who they are or what they are. I really want us to think about this, church. Like, wh- why are we here? Why, why do we come here if we're not going to think about this? This is it. And you're probably on fire. And maybe you're not. But that doesn't mean you're a failure. This is just an encouragement to get up. That's all this is. Church, I believe in you. I believe in me. I'm praying for myself to live this out. But imagine what our church would look like. Imagine what the Bronx would look like if we are all living out this brand of Christianity. And to God be the glory. Thank you.